And so here we are at the edge of Western civilization, taking a really good look at all of the crap that Western civilization is, has incurred. It's this Pluto return of the United States and a, and a necessary shamanic soul retrieval type of healing for Western civilization. And that's the Pluto process is we're learning about what to do. We first have to become aware of it. We first have to feel it. Hello and welcome to Inspired Astrology with Lauren K. Hickman. This week, with the sun being in Aries, I'm just going to say it that that K is the initial for kicking ass because that's just who I am and what I'm doing. (laughs) I am so teasing. It's my birthday this week uh, on Sunday, coinciding with the full moon. So trying to like get my playful joy on uh, in birthday number two of the pandemic. (laughs) Lots of hope on the horizon, however, and making special uh, moments for myself and just finding my inspiration, finding my wakefulness. I have an exciting show for you today. I have Ryan Evans' interview that I did in Viroqua, Wisconsin earlier this month, outdoors on a flower farm in the middle of cow pastures and hills in the Driftless Valley of Wisconsin. Such an amazing interview, and we'll be doing a lot of astrology talking and bringing up Ryan's kind of... uh, pretty Sagittarius, pretty pretty big concept of, uh, of seeing the end of the astrological zodiac uh, as Sagittarius being the ending and Capricorn being the beginning. So we're going to hear all about that theory, which I'm sold on. So we'll just, we'll just, uh, I'll leave that there for now. If you're new to the podcast, welcome. So glad that you're here. Um, This started about a year ago uh, based on fans asking me to get up and read and trip out over words and concepts with astrology, um, get inside of your head in a different way other than the visual taking in of words. So this is my voice. Often you'll hear my hound dog dragon in the background. Uh, He's always a big part of these special occasions of recording days. Um, If you're new, like I said, welcome. This is a space for you to explore to identify, to connect in, to tap into self through the experience of other. Uh, Just a couple of months ago, I brought in um, the idea of interviewing people that either resonate with the energy of the season because of their sun sign, because of their work endeavors. And that offers an opportunity to, to sort of think outside the box, right? A lot of us come to astrology just looking to understand the self, but the real gifts come when we use astrology to understand other and to enhance our relationship and to learn more about ourself, our development, our communication styles, and also just to see how other people are living and thinking and moving through the world. There are so many different expressions of being human beings. Uh, Every chart is unique. Every expression of that chart is unique. And we get to develop and change that and grow with that on a daily basis. Um, So it's really about developing your consciousness to meet your energy where you're at and to become the best version of yourself that there is because you're the only you that will ever be. So there, take that. (laughs) 
Uh, like I said, we have the full moon in Libra this Sunday, so I'll chat a little bit about that. Um, but I also want to talk about gun control. Um, I know this is an inspired astrology podcast, but uh, part of working with the energies of the here and nigh are with legislation and taking action and calling our representatives and doing what we can to dismantle systems of oppression that prevent us from full self-expression, um, which includes the ability to take lives, um, to experience the sense of other and other than um, in this individuation process. And uh, Chiron being in Aries and conjunct Venus and the sun in Aries this Sunday on the full moon, um, there has been some talk about gun reform based on the Chiron and Aries movement um, because of what Aries represents, right? I I mean, at a a low expression, it is about war. It is about otherness. It is about self-expression. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Mars and it's, it's, uh, past association with violence. It's, it's challenging for me working as hard as I have to get to this point with my way of moving and thinking and experiencing the world, which took a lot of self-exploration for me to kind of dive into those darker territories of Aries energy and the war-like experience. And I just want to take a moment uh, to to give some statistics um, about gun laws in the United States. So every year in America, nearly 40,000 people are killed with guns. 60% is suicide. 60% suicide, 36 homicide, 1% police shootings, 1% unintentional, 1% undetermined. So this is sourced from the Everytown Research Center. So every day in America, more than 100 people are shot and killed and more than 230 people are shot and wounded. Every day in America, more than 100 people are shot and killed. The US gun homicide rate is 25 times that of our peer nations. The difference between us and them lacks gun laws. Firearms are the leading causes of death for American children and teens, and every year gun violence costs our nation $280 billion. So nearly two-thirds of gun deaths in the states are suicides. It's really, really sad. So to have another mass shooting uh, in a supermarket in Colorado yesterday, um, I don't know. I mean, I was, I was 16, 15 rather, uh, at Valley Southwoods in West Des Moines, Iowa, um, when the Columbine shootings happened. And Michael Moore put out a documentary back then, you know, Bowling for Columbine. And I feel like for the last 20 years, we've been talking about gun reform and it doesn't happen. And I really encourage you to do some self-reflection on what this looks like in your life, how it might affect your life. Um, Specifically speaking to the fear that this creates that we can't go into public spaces like, remember movie theaters, the Batman premiere not too long ago. (laughs) 
schools, now a grocery store. Don't do fear. That is always what my teacher has encouraged. You know, we, we do what we can. We use our instincts, our intuition. We, we find precaution, but this prey upon others, this blame on mental illness rather than on legislators and background checks and the ability to prevent people from getting bullets, which I think would be a brilliant idea. <laughs> uh, make what, what did uh, Chris Rock said that you make a bullet, you know, a thousand dollars and somebody will have to like get a job and save up if they want to hurt someone. But maybe we need to address the sense of aggression in our culture, right? We're going through this Pluto return, this massive cycle that Ryan Evans will get into in our um, our interview today. The U.S.'s Pluto return, this long cycle of digging up our dirt, telling on ourselves, seeing what we are, our dark history, our shadow work that has not yet been integrated. And I think violence and aggression are a big part of the American culture, our competition, <laughs> our me first attitude rather than we, you know, thinking about what's best for all involved. And I think that's all I want to say about that. So again, if you're new to this podcast, um, I don't always get so dark and moody about things, but I I feel like it's really important to bring up the current events um, because of the way that it's affecting us. And so you'll hear on these interviews captured in time, this archive of inspired astrology, you know, I do ask people about how they've been faring for the pandemic because this won't go on forever. Hell, maybe we'll even have a reemergence of the roaring 20s like last century and things will be nuts and we'll all be together and hugging and kissing and there'll be radical polyamory and all kinds of goofiness happening in the next decade. I don't know. Um, but uh, I tell you what, if you if you want, you don't always have to listen to these monologues at the beginning, right? There's interviews that cover a myriad of topics and personal stories that aren't necessary to listen to for this time, this day, this this moment, right? So I do list out like, hey, today we're talking about the Libra full moon at the end of March 2021. But that doesn't mean that you can't scan back to the spring equinox report last year to kind of check in what was happening back then. Or if you're interested interested in the um, staying grounded in the age of Aquarius. Uh, that was an interview with Sarah L. White, who is a, um, a therapist and a counselor. And that is well worth listening to if you are interested in boundary work or finding ways to, to stay grounded uh, in a time where we're all existing in technology and in the rapid flow of information, this rapid fire of uh, technology and news and media that is hitting us in the face all the time. You know, I've had a great interview with Shilpa Shankaran, who is an Aries uh, son. Her birthday's coming up in early April. Uh, we talked a few months ago about Orveda and about her spa in Madison, Wisconsin. So if you have interest in hearing some thoughts on or- Orvedic wellness, um, she's also going to be hosting a-, a free online workshop about Orveda and introductions to that on March 30th. So you should go check out Kosha Spa. That's K-O-S-A if you wanted to check out some more information about that. I'm always trying to connect the dots and getting people to link in with each other because there's such a wealth of resources and information out there. And often there's a sense of passive receipt of information. Our Instagram feed, for example, you know, 
the, the accounts that you choose to follow, the information that you choose to consume really shapes the way that we see the world. Um, so it's really important to kind of gather and find inspiration and then take action to pursue those things that, that bring some life, right? That, that give you a sense of well-being and joy, right? Or, you know, a sense of tragedy and understanding and compassion, of suffering for the experiences that we have as human beings because it's both it's joy and suffering you have to have that in a binary world to break the binary to understand both sides of it so you can move beyond the full moon in libra falls this sunday march 28th 2021 at 1:48 p.m from here in fresh coast the middle of the country central standard time So the sun will be conjunct Chiron as well as Venus and Aries, this beautiful energy. And of course, there's going to be a tension between the moon, right? Because the sun and the moon are opposition. Uh, That is what creates the full moon, the appearance of this large disk in the sky because the sun is fully illuminating and glowing back at itself. So typically, like if we just talk about an Aries season, right? We, we talked some about Aries last week, this energy and vital force, this ferocity, the joy, the optimism, the leadership, the enthusiasm, the way of expressing oneself in the world and mirroring back, you know, tell me what I need to see in myself. There's very much the I am presence with Aries, strong headed, strong willed, often direct, often running into situations without really fully preparing for things. Um, And then we have the Libra full moon that is the opposing force, the balancing energy of this sun energy. So that's the idea of reflecting back. What is other? What is relationship? How do we see ourselves in the world? How do we mirror who we are and how we've been selfish how we've not been too thoughtful or considerate of other other beings. Maybe we need to take some more time to deliberate, to find our inner diplomat, so to speak, to think and consider situations and arrive at some decisiveness. That's the balancing point, right? Because Aries tends to just like make a decision and, and run straight into that to that circumstance, that fight, always looking for a battle. Uh, which can be problematic for Aries and those of us with Aries placements in our chart is looking for a fight um, because that tension is what drives us to move forward. Libra is not about that. Libra is the opposite of war. It's, it is about diplomacy, relationship, communication, the way that we connect with others and finding a balance. So where Libra's indecisiveness and constantly weighing the options gets in the way of itself, Aries sort of balances that out with decisiveness and with clarity. So you need both of those energies. They're both valuable to one another. And that's what's being illuminated this week is to consider who am I, but then who are they? How am I interacting with other, with those that I love, with the closest relationships in my life, with the people I'm committed to, with those that I relate with? Um, it's a great time to sort of refresh with relationships, right? Not just with your lovers, but with yourself and with everyone that you connect with on a regular basis. So all this is playing out uh, at the very top of the chart um, in the ninth house of exploration, wisdom, higher awareness, 
I'm trying to take that in for a moment and to consider, you know, this revelation about the Chiron wound in Aries. What are we battling? Are we battling ourselves? Are we finding a way to battle with love and self-worth and what we value? What are we pushing away from ourselves that are actually going to be gifting us new information and new awareness? A lot of fire in this chart. Ladies and gentle thems. We have this ongoing tension between Uranus and Saturn, of course, which is the energy of this year, which we'll get more into with with Ryan Evans, who I'm going to be bringing on here in just a moment. Um, I want to thank you so much for tuning in, for taking this opportunity for self-reflection and to to think about what what drives you, what your journey is, um, because your, your journey is important, and so is everybody else's. The Kind Oasis brand was created with the belief that premium organic CBD should be affordable and accessible to those who need it most. As someone who has used hemp-derived CBD to support my own wellness, I have to say I really like this product. Their tincture is simple, a full-spectrum CBD and fractionated coconut oil. That's it. They also have potent homemade gummies that are a delight, and the CBD is available in capsules or in a topical balm. Go to kindoasis.com and use offer code Inspired Astrology to get 20% off your order. We'll just do that. Um, I think this will hear us well enough. Okay, so just finding your seat and you can sit up and find that nice rise in the chest and the arms and the shoulders to give a sense of heart opening and... Allowing the energy to flow in through the back body, the back of the fifth plexus, all of those fun little tiny chakras that help us to light up. And just softening the belly and the psoas, everything just melting in the center of will, allowing the torso to relax. Nothing to fight here. And feeling that sense of the feet and the earth below us supporting us, this element of grounding mostly consistent, slow-moving consistency. Just drawing that energy up and feeling the sense of space around us, the support from below, the spaciousness, the vastlessness of the space around us. As we hear the thaw and the birds, the wind, imagine that you can breathe all that sense of space around you, breathing it in through the gills underneath the ears, imagining that your ears are orifices of breath and you can draw the sounds and the space, the temperature, the wind, drawing that all inside. On the next exhale, just press all the air out of the lungs. We're just going to press everything down to the hollow, empty part of the abdomen. And come back into the nostrils. And exhaling out of the arms. We're going to attend now to the heart space, this hearth. 
and our chest this light fire and imagining that the embers, the coals of the heart that we can breathe into that space to reignite this energy, this frequency, this sense of self here in the space. Breathing into the heart, allowing it to illuminate, reignite, and exhaling out through the arms, the hands, the wrists, the fingertips, these extensions of the heart space. And breathing back into the heart We'll exhale up into the throat, the jaw, the palate, activating the throat plexus. And just imagining the throat, the space of the neck, these delicate sense organs all around here, and just taking in some space there. So as you breathe, imagining the flexibility, the spaciousness here, this opening for receiving energy, the breath, the water, the food, and also our ability to articulate, to communicate, and to connect on the outside. So this portal from the inside to the outside. And checking with the jawline, the teeth, the tongue, the palate, just softening anything that feels tense, just noticing your muscles in the mandible, having a swallow if you need. Getting a sense of the sinuses and the cavity, the breath, the wind moving through this space. Coming back to the ears for a moment, just noticing what you hear. Feeling the eyeballs relax, the eyelids soften and flutter. No place to look now. Now we're bringing the attention awareness over the brow plexus, which, which runs like a sprinkling of stars across the temples, over the brows to the other temple. I'm going to bring the attention to the center of the brow, right between the eyebrows, and just take a couple of breaths here, just breathing in through the nostrils, into the brow, out through the brow, in through the brow, out through the brow, in through the brow, and out. Bringing the awareness over the top of the head, the crown, the thousand-petaled lotus, this perceptive space that we're so tied into and we welcome in the soul selves of both Ryan and Lauren to present in this opportunity for service and breathing in through the crown of the head out through the crown into the crown out through the crown of the head last in and out now breathing in through the brow center out through the top of the head, into the crown, out through the brow center. All that is, thank you for being present with us. And through the divine spirit of love and wisdom, reveal that which needs to be revealed so that which needs to be healed can be healed. We will to will thy will and thank you for your presence. I ask that six beings in service to the highest white light stand at the four directions as well as above and below this healing space, honoring the sacred intention of this process of sharing information, wisdom, story to support and uplift others on their journey in this world. We ask to be beings of true service. All right, you can open your eyes. We've got all the sun shining on us now. 
Oh. So Ryan, I am sitting on your former flower farm here in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. I drove past some very conservative farm spaces. I saw a big sign with some cows that said, uh, God is in charge, I think is what the sign said. It was a curvy adventure back here. And I want to know how you ended up here and how you are now living in California for the most part. <clears throat> well, it all started when my mother brought me into this world 48 years ago. <laughs> uh, uh, my former wife and I had our first child. I was living in Minneapolis. I was a landscaper gardener and we said we don't you know we were young and idealistic we don't want to raise our kid in the city and so we got in the van drove across the country checked out most of the country and came back and are like oh well i suppose we're minnesotans we bought some land up in Grand Marais, Minnesota, <laughs> back when you could get 40 acres for $5,000, <laughs> and uh, put up a yurt and moved up there with the kid and spent a whole three weeks there before we said, we're not living in a yurt with a kid in the middle of winter, 50 miles south of the Canadian border. So moved back in with the parents for a month, and uh, a friend said, "Hey, why don't you drive down, you know, southwestern Wisconsin?" We're like, "Okay." So we um, drove down ninety four to Toma, drove south on one thirty one, and by the time we got to what is now the Kickapoo Valley Reserve. We were like, oh my God, this is the most beautiful place I've ever seen in my life. And just for anyone who's ever been here, especially the first time, there is a palatable ancient wisdom in this driftless area. Uh, having not been glaciated, for some say up to eight glaciations, there is an ancient repository of not only plant and, you know, rare plant and animal life, but, again, of that untainted great goddess wisdom of nature. So, needless to say, I was hooked. And so we found a little rental and uh, got a job at the Common Ground Cafe in Viroqua and uh, had another kid and eventually saved enough money slash had enough money to uh buy a little piece of land bought a little piece of land put a house on it went into debt oh god am i gonna pay for it well being a landscaper gardener i wanted to uh, have an organic nursery and so I started a bunch of perennial seeds, and I didn't really know what I was doing because I'm Neptunian Sag. I just make that up as I go. And, uh, you know, after a couple of failures here and there, I eventually met a flower farmer outside uh, uh, who, who has a farm outside of Soldier's Grove. And uh, he's like, 
an organic nursery. Why don't you just grow cut flowers? And I'm like, yes, that's what I want to do. I didn't know I wanted to do it, but that's what I wanted to do. And so what can I say? One thing led to another. One sunflower seed led to another zinnia seed. And pretty soon I had seven acres of annuals, perennials, shrubs, trees, native plants. And uh, I then grew cut flowers and sold them to florists in Minneapolis and St. Paul for 20 years. I did weddings and events. I did uh, corporate corporate events for Organic Valley that's out here. I did floral design for the Upper Midwest Organic Farming Conference every year. So, you know, it was mostly a blast in those realms, and uh, looking at it from, from that perspective. But what they don't tell you about flower farming is that it's not just dancing through the fields, you know, uh, uh, talking with the fairies and, and picking flowers and putting them into the basket, going tra-la-la with the hummingbirds dancing around you. Um, no, it's the most arduous, grueling, back-breaking work there is. Every flower has its own temperament and needs to be cut at the particular time, put in the cooler at the particular temperature, and da-da-da-da-da-da. So there's a lot of chaos management. Throw in a couple floods, a couple of straight-line winds, uh, you know, catastrophe after catastrophe and a trauma after trauma living on a uranus line and uh, eventually it just became too much now during this whole time of course since i was 19 uh, you know hedging my bets i've also studied astrology and so i studied astrology first in minneapolis with a great uh greatest astrologer uh, that is unknown to most people. Her name is Pat Kaluza. And I studied with her and my my method of studying is osmosis. So just being, you know, in her presence, you know, and chatting about life every week. I learned a lot about astrology. Uh, I wanted a more formal kind of certificated uh, education, you know, that where I could have something that says, see, I am a certified whatever. I mean, not that, you know, just saying I had a great teacher wasn't enough, but you know, when you come out into the world and you want to be a professional, you know, maybe sometimes people want to see some kind of, you know, piece of paper behind glass on your wall. So I started, so I'm like, well, who's my, you know, favorite, most totally awesome astrologer that I've learned from besides Pat. You know, well, Stephen Forrest has written some amazing books, and I considered him to be the most amazing, well-known astrologer in the world. And he was offering an apprenticeship program, and so I signed up. And for 12 years, twice a year, for a week, I sat at the feet of the master. <clears throat> And again, osmosis, you know, he, I was downloaded and absorbed as, as much of the 
flame of wisdom that he could pass out. So sucked all that in and went through level one, level two, and became a certified master level astrologer with the Stephen Forrest School of Evolutionary Astrology. Probably seven, six years ago, seven years ago. And so... After, you know, a couple hernias and some shoulder pain and, you know, again, a couple of floods, straight line winds, plenty of other, you know, tragedies, uh, market crashing in 2008, increased competition, bottoming out the market, you know, flower farming was losing its appeal. And astrology is really, was really, you know, where I wanted to go. And so... Uh, started building up that business and got to the point where I felt like I could be a full-time professional astrologer uh, five years ago. And as I said, I'm going to let the flower farm dissolve and I'm going to put it out to the universe that I'm ready to leave. And lo and behold, uh, met an amazing woman at the uh, apprenticeship program. And uh, she lives in California, and we got married, and I sold the farm and moved to California, and I'm writing my books and uh, teaching and doing client work, and also as a permaculture design expert, I'm also going to be integrating... uh, Uh, some of that into my life as well. I always see you at the end of your community-supported astrology reports that you're like, you know, you mentioned the planting season. And I love that combination. And I think that nature really informs the way that you see astrology. What initially attracted you to astrology? (laughs) What what originally... uh, uh, initially, as a 19-year-old. Uh, yeah, as a 19-year-old was was my, my uh, uh, I guess we could say alternatively minded mother said, hey, for your 19th birthday, I got you an astrology reading with my astrologer. And I was like, okay, I mean, I'll see what she says, Pat Calusa. And so I went and saw her. And um, I don't really remember any specifics from the reading other than she said, when you get older, you know, forgive me because I know you're a man, but when you get older, it looks like you will be a priestess. I'm like, yeah, come on, you know, it's a priestess. I mean, this kind of weird, but okay. And then, and then I thought about it. And I'm like, you know, I do worship the great goddess and the great goddess is embodied in nature and the seasons and and her cycles and her flow. And so she was right. I became a flower farmer and an astrologer and put together to me that equates to priestess. Why? Well, again, because nature being the, in my opinion, the embodiment of the great goddess is synonymous 
with the cycles and the rhythms and the flow of astrology. And if we think about it, going all the way back to the beginning, whenever that was, that's kind of the birth of astrology. The birth of astrology is it's Capricorn season and it's cold. And if I don't have my wood stacked or adequate shelter, I'm going to die. So the season of Capricorn has some motivating uh, imperatives for us that literally describe the best of all possible ways to be happy Capricorn. You get your wood stacked and you supply yourself with your adequate resources and you do what you have to do to survive during the winter and you don't cry about it. And that's, that's nature. That's our in human engagement with nature. Con concurrently uh, or conversely, uh, cancer season it's the end of June and there's strawberries and raspberries and all the leaves are on the trees and you can harvest the lettuce out of the garden and there's the abundance and everything's blooming and nature provides in all of her abundant beauty and that feels really good and that's the season of cancer. And so farming <laughs> and astrology are kind of the same thing because they deal with our intimate connection with nature and what have we had to do for tens of thousands of years is survive in nature. Now we can start a whole conversation about how our divergence from that nature has corrupted us and caused all sorts of problems, um, but that's why I love astrology because the lessons of nature, our engagement with nature, it's imprinted on the cells of our body. It's in our DNA. And so astrology is actually in our DNA. And so when we can do, quote, do the astrology right, then we're living in harmony and concert with nature, with our, with our own individual relationship with nature and so I think it's kind of cool you know how it's like I didn't really know it until I really started living it as a farmer and having the seasonal demands of oh it's Pisces season I wonder what the seed catalog is going to be like, oh, and we go through the seed catalog and we dream about the potential and possibility of what our garden's going to look like. And that's what Pisces is about, you know, dreaming about the possibility and potential of what our proverbial garden can be. So it's, it's those harmonies between, uh, between our, our engagement with the seasons and astrology that I just love so much. So we talked a little bit about this, this book that you've been brewing up, you know, and bringing forth. And I mean, of course, the, the dreaming up of the book is very Piscean, right? And you're, you're seeing that 
that astrology is, I mean, the zodiac signs are not lining up the way that they've been traditionally taught based on your experience with nature determining that Capricorn actually should be the first sign of the zodiac, even though it won't match up with the house house system or whatever in its own way. But um, what what brought you to that information? Like, how do you how do you process and bring bring these things through, I guess? I was meditating on the super colossal black hole at the center of our galaxy. And that super colossal black hole at the center of our galaxy is aligned with, what, 28-something, 26-something, I don't know, at the end of Sagittarius. And if one were to consider that all of the matter in our galaxy is spiraling around this black hole and, you know, inevitably will go into this black hole, that sounds to me like an ending. That sounds to me like a finality, if you will. What, where does it go? Because, you know, we can philosophize that any ending is just another beginning. But where does it go? You know, you stand at the edge of the event horizon and, and you look over and it's, it's black. And if you jump into the black hole... You're not going to be able to transmit information back. So what's the black hole? Well, it's a great mystery. You know, well, there's theories, you know, black holes come to white holes, or maybe there's, you know, they enter into another universe, or maybe, it, you know, black holes feed the center of suns. You know, there's all these theories. We don't know for sure. And boy, you know, that if, there, if there's any kind of symbolism for Sagittarius, that's what it is. We can know everything, and it's Sag's job to know everything between this earth and the great mystery, right? But when you get to the end of the great mystery, what can you say? I don't know. And that's the most, most amazing, healthy Sagittarian perspective. Is I know everything up until a certain point, and then I know nothing. So ultimately, I don't know everything, and that's part of knowing everything. And that seems to me, philosophically, like a culminating point. Like an ending. It all ends up in the black hole, and where does that go? It's the great mystery. Yeehaw. Now, in, in the uh, Ojibwe language, their word for God is Gichimanadu. And that has been mistranslated as great spirit. After taking that language course in college, my Ojibwe professor said, no, it's not great spirit. Spirit is a thing. You can conceptualize a spirit. Gichimanadu, that's great mystery. Ultimately, we 
silly, puny humans can't know the everything. Ultimate and ultimately, we can't know where that black hole goes for sure. So, the great mystery, God, goddess, you know, whatever, spirit, you know, try to, ah, words fall. If that all culminates and ends there in that black hole at the end of Sagittarius, then it would stand to reason that the rebirth of the sun at winter solstice is the birth of the sun. And the birth of the sun is the birth. And the birth is the beginning. So, duh, Capricorn is the beginning. The new moon is the beginning. The seed germinates at the new moon. And that new beginning, that brand new cycle, you don't see the new moon. It's not till a few days later that you begin to see a little crescent. And that new moon germinates in the darkness, just like a large percentage of seeds germinate in the darkness. You can't see it, but a great power is being unleashed. That's birth. The germination of the seed, the shell cracks and that and then that seedling reaches out to find moisture and rock and something solid to call reality. And this is, right? Sounds like Capricorn. And then begins to turn itself up and work its way through the soil to the light. Through the darkest hours, work up to a... a to, a, to an increasing light. It sounds like Capricorn to me. <clears throat> so, the beginning of the Zodiac, in my experience as a farmer, is the germination of the seed. Because if that seed doesn't germinate, that seed will not pop out of the ground and face the world in Aries. Hey, you're not, you're not, you know, working through the, uh, the soil here. You are exposed and you have to defend yourself and you have to be strong and you have to have deliberation. You have to know where you're going, which is toward the sun or away from the earth, the, depending on the tropism. And there's Aries. So is Aries the beginning well, if you consider a seed popping out of the ground being a beginning, and it's true, you know it, it's verifiable, you can see the life when it pops out of the ground, but that seedling has been growing since the seed cracked. And the cracking of the seed, to me, in my experience in farming, my engagement with nature, my understanding of lunar phases, that happens at, at the beginning of Capricorn. Therefore, in my humble opinion, Capricorn is the first sign of the zodiac, culminating in our deep meaning and purpose of life. And what's it all about? Ha ha ha, I don't know, and we're not ever really going to know. And so the punchline is try to have as much fun as you can in the meantime.
Sagittarius as the ending. I'm convinced. <laughs> I, I think it's a really um, solid argument. And I think it, it really makes sense when you consider nature's part in what astrology is. Like everything leads into the next. Do you feel like that's what evolutionary astrology was the draw for you? Mm. Yes. Because, um, again, you know, there's, for me, there's no separating out the, the growth of a sunflower and its metaphors from the growth of the human. And so evolutionary astrology shows us how to best grow. It's not easy to pop through the ground and face a cold, hard world. So Aries is going to need to have adequate defenses and it's going to need to be strong. And in evolutionary astrology, we encourage that process for Aries individuals. This is an evolution, you know, if you have something, anything in Aries, then that archetype is motivated by the need for self-assuredness and strength and self-reliance and personal power and courage. And so that's evolutionary astrology is that each one of these seasons has its own suggestions as to how to best navigate the experience of that season. Virgo season. Things are going to freeze soon, and it's time to bring in the harvest. So can your beans and, uh, you know, lay up your stores, uh, you know, smoke the jerky or whatever it is you have to do. Because when Capricorn season comes around, you're going to be very grateful for that Virgo. And so understanding that rhythm and the cycle and the flow and the growth of the seasons and applying that to the cycle and the flow and the growth of the evolution of the individual, that's evolutionary astrology to me. And if we want to stretch that out over lifetimes, you know, and go much deeper, you know, we can pull that in too. I feel like there's so much that we could go into. I don't know where to take the conversation because I'm mostly interested in what makes you, what makes your perspective so unique. And you're sharing that, you know, your experience as a, as a farmer, a landscaper, a parent, a person, a dreamer, a drifter, all the things that you've, you've been doing. And I, and I keep coming back to like, why would you move to California where we don't get the rhythm of the seasons the way uh -huh. we do here in the Midwest, which are so reflective of astrology cycles? Yes. But because you want to get an avocado off a tree in the backyard, <laughs> I, I mean, I relate with that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's actually um, a very great question. And I was a little nervous myself about the transition. Here's the... Uh, uh, the tongue-in-cheek, if you will, answer. Because I'm tired of northern polar vortexes, that's why I'm getting older and I want to have my avocado or orange tree that I can pick off the... You know, it's somewhat yeah. glib, but it's... That's... That is a piece of it. Um, and in that, what I have noticed is that 
where I live in Sonoma County, the long, rich, deep, hot, hot, hot summer blends into a long, rich, deep, delicious autumn, which then blends into a long, delicious, deep spring. Well, where's winter in that? It gets rainy, it gets cold, it's not 105 degrees anymore, it might be 30 or 40 or 50, and even though it's not, you know, 20 below, it's still a winter. It's still a hibernation. Uh, my tomatoes did die, actually, about January 15th, you know. So, okay, so there's winter, fine, take it. Um, but... Um, yes, I was definitely concerned that, oh my God, there's not going to be, you know, such a, such a, uh, an obvious shift of seasons, but see the seasons are based on the declination of the sun. And so temperature, you know, I mean, we Northerners up here, you know, it's going to be 95 and humid in the summer, and it's going to be 20 below in winter. And, you know, so there's some very clear boundaries between the seasons. Uh, just because I live in a place where there's a long autumn moving into a long spring and how delicious that is, it doesn't mean that the sun doesn't still drop in the sky. And that's a noticeable thing. And when the sun drops in the sky, it doesn't matter where we are, you know, we do feel that, and it does have an effect. So um, the only difference is I'm still experiencing winter, I'm just not freezing my butt off in the process. <laughs> we chatted a bit earlier about astrocartography, and it's funny that both of us are now living on sun lines for us personally. And I'd love to get your take on when you use that with clients or how it might assist an individual who's interested in astrocartography. Sure, sure. Uh, astrocartography, you know, there's all sorts of different uh, techniques that we can um, uh, that we can call astrocartography or locational astrology. Um, so, so one technique is the relocated chart instead of being born here let's see what your chart looks like being born here and you know there's information in there and you know okay well pluto's out of my fourth house hooray you know or or whatever that we can celebrate with a relocated chart and then there's uh if you basically take the birth chart and 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 look at it from, from like where you are born, and then in each direction that a planet is going, you basically extend those lines out over the globe. Well, then, you know, we get your sun line, or here in Wisconsin, I'm on a Uranus line. And so basically what those lines then will say is those energies are more prevalent for good or ill for us. So a sun line, living on a sun line, yeah, more power. I mean, hook me up to a solar panel, yo, and I'm going to live on a sun line. I will be energized. I, I will be able to align with the essence of who I am. Uh, uh, not necessarily 
mow better than I could anybody any any place else, but it's just more accentuated. And so I said, oh yeah, I'm a Sun-Neptune-Mercury. Let me go live on a Sun-Neptune-Mercury line. And sure enough, uh, there's definitely that solar power uh, that you get when you pick an orange off your 400 orange-laden tree and how empowering that feels, sun. And there's also the Neptune experience for me there, which on one hand is a clearer connection to the crazy mystery and beauty and potential of the universe and those subtle hints of synchronistic consciousness. Yes, those are more open for me. And when we are living on those lines or visiting those lines or uh, considering relocation to those lines or just traveling through those lines, some of the shadow potentials can also manifest. Oh, Neptune line. Okay, wait, where am I? Where am I going? What am I doing? Yeah, that's really possible too. Sun, is it possible to burn out? Yeah, if we don't pace ourselves, we can get too excited and we can harvest all the oranges off of the tree and then be like, oh, geez, maybe I should have left some or, you know, they're going rotten too quickly. Oh, I guess I was too excited. So there's benefits and liabilities. Here in Wisconsin, living on a, a Uranus line, I worked for myself. I did my own thing. I was the local astrologer. You know, all Uranus stuff. I also suffered trauma, sudden changes, uh, uh, inclement weather, and uh, all sorts of other unpredictable chaos living on a Uranus line. And so you can can understand the kinds of things one could say to a client. Oh, well, you know, a client comes to you and says, I I really want to, I want to go to school. I want to, I want to do some really hard work and, you know, I'm going to get my master's degree and the call, I could go to a college on my Venus line or I could go to a college on my Saturn line. And then my mind said, well, you said the word master and work and Saturn is about mastery. So you might want to move to a Saturn line, especially if you're going to be diligent and focused and responsible. There might be some solitude, and it's going to be friggin' hard work, but that's why you're doing it. If you go to the Venus line, hey, maybe that's the party school, or, you know, hey, maybe you're going to be, you know, hey, you'll have a wonderful time, and it'll be relaxing, and maybe it's warmer, and it'll be beautiful, there'll be more flowers, but, uh, you know, are you going to do the masterful work that maybe Saturn could encourage more? So helping out a client in, in that capacity can be really, really beneficial. I need to go on vacation. I just need to let go of the world and sit by the ocean and pray to God and open up to answers and my Neptune line goes through Cabo San Lucas or something, I say, yo, why don't you go to Cabo and check it out? And, you know, it might not necessarily all be clear, but maybe when you come back and you're doing your dishes, maybe that download will be activated and you'll get the inspiration and 
you know, that you were looking for. I want to shift gears a little bit um, to chat about current astrology. If you're if you're okay with sharing, like your reflections on the 2020 energy, and we'll wait for that car to pass. It's a truck, actually. <laughs> You're in farm country here, girl. No, I mean, there's a solar power and a red barn and a white barn and a stack of wood. I mean, this is like as rural as it gets, really. That's right, that's right. <laughs> I love it. Birds are chirping. There's a purple finch. Uh, so sweet. I can, I've been seeing a lot of red cardinals today, mm, but... It, love them. But, yeah, they just cheer me up right away. I'm an Aries, though, so... Yeah, right. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I, when I, when I've asked astrologers onto the show, I just love getting your impressions about all the Aquarian energy that we're working with. Um, the Saturn Uranus squares of this year are obviously the, the, uh, I don't know, they're, they're the headliner, I think that, mm-hmm. that I'm seeing for 2021, but, mm-hmm. um, any insights that you want to share with an audience? Like, I mean, your thoughts on all the happenings. Totally, dude. Okay. Uh, being who I am, I definitely love the depth. I have an, a, a general uh, motivating operative within me that if there is anything that is hidden, unaccessed, unexpressed, anything that is suppressed, repressed, or denied... It will eventually create some pain. Welcome to Pluto. And so Pluto is like Pluto, the gatekeeper to the archetypal realm, being the first discovered of the Kuiper Belt objects. Pluto, you're not going to get to outer space and you're not going to get to the supercolossal black hole at the center of the galaxy. You're not going to get to the great, powerful meaning beyond us without going through the crap. And so, yes, I can definitely talk about the Saturn-Uranus square, etc. And that's huge right now. But what is, I think, the what we are feeling mostly is the Pluto return of the United States. And a return of any planet is when a planet returns to the same degree that, that it was at the birth of whatever. So the birth of the United States... The Pluto is what is eluding me in this moment, 27, 28 degrees of Capricorn. Now here comes Pluto. Pluto's at, what, 26 degrees of Capricorn. So Pluto is in a ultra-balsamic waning phase to its natal position. It's as far away as it can possibly be from where it started, if we think in terms of uh, degrees going in one direction and the phase relationship between them. And so Pluto, 
representing anything shadow that we have suppressed, repressed, or denied also represents a necessary healing process of bringing that crap that we have suppressed, repressed, or denied up to the surface for healing. Pluto is the composting process. What you want is that really yummy, rich, uh, microbial, rich, full of worm poop and all that good, yummy stuff that plants like we want. That's what we want. The only way to get that is through taking last year's refuse, putting it in a pile, and then every month when the moon goes into Scorpio, go out to the compost pile and turn it. And when we turn it, we are adding air, consciousness, awareness, and we are, if it's dry, we are adding moisture. Water, emotion, feeling. And adding consciousness and feeling to our crap, to our refuse, encourages the microbes to break down the orange peel or the broccoli stalk into that rich hummus, the humic acids, the beautiful things that make compost such the magnificent fertilizer. We are in the process right now, collectively, of taking a really good look at all of our refuse that our country has produced over the last, what, 242 years? <laughs> So let's see, have we as a country ever done anything unscrupulous? Have we ever had any shadow experiences? Have we ever given out smallpox blankets? Yeah, there's not a whole lot of um, <laughs> shadow things that we haven't done as a country. And so we got to become aware of that. And we got to feel that. And that then becomes the healing process. But you're not going to become aware of it. And you're not going not to heal it until you get out into the pile with your shovel and say, Oh, gross, there's the rotting broccoli stalk. And so nine times out of ten, and why we are still you know, here in this place as humans is that we take a look at that stinking broccoli stalk and we want to go away. Oh my God, this is too hard. This is too much. I don't want to face it. I don't want to look at the fact that I might have issues carried over from childhood or whatever. And we suppress, repress, or deny the healing, which then increases a need for <laughs> healing. <laughs> because we have suppressed and repressed and denied it. And then comes out in gross ways. So here we are, uh, and, and this sounds uh, this this sounds uh, awfully arrogant. But the United States being the pinnacle of Western civilization. It's the edge of the world and all of Western civilization. 
And so here we are at the edge of Western civilization, taking a really good look at all of the crap that Western civilization is, has incurred. Now, now granted, there are some absolutely beautiful things. Those solar panels out there, man, those are some, that is some awesome stuff. There's, it's not like Western civilization is totally, you know, screwed because it's poison 100%. No, there are just aspects of it. Racism, gender equality, oh, just don't get me started. You know, there are, we all know that there are many things quote-unquote wrong with the world, with society, with Western civilization. And so underneath Pluto, <laughs> underneath and, and, and underlying, un, uh, underlying all of the other challenging aspects that have come up over the last couple years and will come up over the next few years. It's this Pluto return of the United States and a, and a necessary shamanic soul retrieval type of healing for Western civilization. That if we can go through uh, consciously and effectively, we can heal some stuff. You know, there's been some, uh, as a Minneapolis native, seeing the, the horrible, horrible murder of George Floyd, right there is a really toxic thing about Western civilization. And so what do we have to do? Unfortunately, it has to be broadcast over, you know, news waves all over the world so we become aware of just how bad that is. And we are all feeling it, just how bad that is. We might not necessarily know exactly what to do about it right now, and that's the Pluto process, is we're learning about what to do. We first have to become aware of it, and we first have to feel it. So, number one, United States Pluto return is the is the deep reclaiming of the fragmented soul of humanity. So, <laughs> just a little, you know, light afternoon work, you know. <laughs> but it's huge and it's deep and it's big and it's culminating right now and there ain't nothing we can do about it but face the smell and go in with our pitchfork and turn that pile. In my humble opinion, of course. And he takes an orange out and smells it. Ah, <laughs> nature. Which then leads us to the Saturn-Uranus square. Uranus is in Taurus. Saturn is in Aquarius. Now, it's interesting. Saturn is Earth. Taurus is Earth. Uranus is the modern ruler of Aquarius. Saturn's in Aquarius. So there's, it's not mutual reception per se, but there's some harmony. There's, they're speaking some same language. There's a, an, uh, uh, 
what's the word, an eliciting of, of whatever lessons that we need to learn in them that are coming out. Saturn is hard work. And one way to look at Uranus is trauma. And if we consider Taurus as Earth, the goddess part of Earth, the feminine part of Earth, we can imagine that Saturn, Saturn, maybe the divine masculine in some some ways, you know, our, our ability to master this realm of, of the real. Saturn square Uranus is bringing up to the surface, no matter how hard it is, is bringing up to the surface this ancient trauma, Uranus, where we have separated ourselves from the goddess part of Earth. So we're seeing all sorts of ancient wounds come up in relationships between, between lovers, between friends, between family that actually go back to the proverbial Garden of Eden when we, for some strange reason, thought we could control Saturn and dominate Saturn nature. And so if we try to control and dominate through technology, Saturn Aquarius, the wild freedom of the great goddess nature, Uranus and Taurus, a great goddess nature is going to get triggered. And all of that ancient woundedness of our separation from nature is going to come up. Now, I don't know that anybody else is necessarily looking at the Saturn-Uranus square as a reawakening of the ancient wound, wounding rift from our separation from nature where we thought we could control, could control and dominate it. But that's what it feels like to me. And so we have some really hard work to do square of re-authenticating Uranus, our relationship with nature, and the value of nature, and the resources of nature, Taurus. Because we need the breakthrough, Uranus. We need a revolution. We need a nature revolution. We need a revolution of the great goddess of nature. That's tough for Saturn. But Saturn in its wisdom knows it has to be done. And so the high aspect of Saturn square Uranus is Saturn's Satan is going to say, okay, humans, this is how bad it can get. There's pandemic. There's Fukushima. There's 
I mean, how much more uh, uh, control can we have on nature before we realize there's no controlling nature? There's only co-creating with nature. There's only flowing and blending with nature. And so our hard work, Saturn, is to revolutionize Aquarius and to uh, heal the trauma, Uranus, of our original divergence from understanding the way nature works, Taurus. And so, yeah, you know, it's the hard work of change. We could say that. We could also say, if you do the work, Saturn, then change will come, Uranus. And that's all true. But I like to go deep. <laughs> and I think that this is a wonderful opportunity as a prelude to the first exact conjunction of the Pluto return in February 2022. As a prelude to that, to begin to remember that we're part of a magnificently beautiful, rich, abundant system. And if we can re-authenticate our relationship with that, that's going to make whatever happens in 2022 through 2024 all the more tolerable, all the, all the more easy, all the, all the more, uh, what do I want to say, easier to survive. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen, man. I don't, I don't like to foretell the future. I just like to describe what it might smell like. <laughs> and so if, uh, if we do this work personally, you know, we can come out smelling like an orange. And, and if we don't do the work personally, it might end up smelling like a compost pile that needs to be turned you don't turn that compost pile you know it's gonna smell and it's gonna attract rodents it's gonna be a big slimy gross unusable mess it's so rot instead of fertile soil yeah. yeah so here we are turning the compost trying to do the work of 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 remembering who we really are who we really are Uranus, in Taurus, earthly beings connected to the great mother Gaia, one organism, and we're just little cells in that organism. And so, and so that's the Saturn and Aquarius piece exalted, is that if we do the work, we understand our own unique individual contribution to the whole. And so that's hopefully what we're learning these days. Lord knows it's what I'm learning. Well, I appreciate you sharing a few minutes of your, your wisdom and what you draw through and um, 
You're wonderful. Where can I find you, Ryan Evans? You do a community-supported astrology effort on Facebook uh, just by signing up for a couple dollars a month or you can pay an annual fee. We get access to this beautiful, poetic, visionary mind of yours on a daily basis. Um, what's your website? Yeah, my website is uh, com. And yeah, find me on Facebook, definitely. Um, through my website, one can join the community-supported astrology and get those, get the daily download, the gardening calendar, space calendar, and uh, and yes, through my website, one can schedule readings. We can see how all of this energy applies to you. Low, low price of $19.95, Great. Well, I'm so glad to hear that you're doing readings online, over the phone, all the things that we do in these strange times. But it's nice to be outdoors with you. We're like, we're like literally six feet apart, probably nine <laughs> feet apart. But it's it's been a gift being here on your farm, your former farm, but to, to make this connection. So thanks for making time for me. You're so welcome, Lauren. Thank you. And thanks to all of your listeners as well. Kin is a modern mystical shop located in the heart of Des Moines, Iowa's East Village. Femcentric at its core, Kin is a woman-owned and operated business. The shop is filled with specialty products from women-owned businesses across the country. Candles, body care, the shop's Venusian energy comes in as soon as you step into the door, whether it's online or in person. Ethically sourced crystals, Palo Santo and Sage are just some of the highlights, along with an exquisite collection of vintage jewelry. Shop online at kindsm.com and let them know that Lauren sent you. And that was Ryan Evans, heart-centered evolutionary astrologer. Uh, I cannot tell you how sacred that conversation was that day out on the old flower farm. Uh, I got to use an outhouse <laughs> for the first time. Uh, it was it was a trip. Um, anyway, Ryan Evans is a very precious being and is going to be commuting back to Wisconsin. So it'll give me a great opportunity to con- continue my studies with him. Uh, Dragon says hi, obviously. He's in the background here. Um, if you wanted to book a session with Ryan Evans, I cannot recommend him enough. Uh, if you like storytellers, if you like the visuals that he provides, um, it's a very illuminating, lucid experience. I think I spent two hours with him the first time that uh, I was gifted an astrology reading. And I have to say that uh, if it weren't for his reading, I would not be doing what I'm doing today which is often what astrology provides for us, is that unique insight. Um, So if you resonated with his voice, you can find Ryan Evans at ryanevansastrology.com. He has a community-supported astrology uh, offering on Facebook, 
and that is Ryan Evans Astrology Community Supported Astrology Daily Forecasts. And that's a private group. You can get signed up through his website and it's five bucks a month and you get daily little posts about the energy of the day. Um, It's pretty awesome. I really enjoyed this uh, just because of his very poetic Sagittarian Neptunian energy that he brings forth. And thank you again for joining me. This is Lauren K. Hickman. Um, Feel free to reach out if you're interested in an energy balancing appointment. Um, Reiki is my first love. Astrology helps me to support as a tool in um, bringing alignment and information and energy to support you on your journey. Uh, You can support this work, the Inspired Astrology Podcast, by sending me a Venmo tip at Lauren K. Hickman. You can find me on Instagram, on Facebook, or at my website, energyinterpreter.com. This podcast is available on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you consume your information. And I try to keep these updated once a week. Thank you for listening. I know there's a lot of information bouncing around in the multiverse and uh, your time and attention is valued. Till next time, stay inspired.